Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby from Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. And Bonnie, we talked about it a lot last week, but guess what? My Blazers are up to one. Up to one. What? What? <laughs> First of all, game three last night was legit. Legit. I'm going to the game tomorrow, so be prepared for the series to be tied 2-2. Okay. Hey, by the way, when you're there, you can tell Russell Westbrook to actually answer questions like a man and not like a little baby, which he is. <laughs> okay. Well, you can tell Lillard to calm down and get over it. There was some, did you see the tension between him and Westbrook? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 a mutual, they're calling it here in Portland, mutual respect. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, okay, listen, you have two all-stars going at each other. I'm really glad it makes for better basketball. But, man, I, I just sat there and laughed last night. So, yeah, normally we tape this on Sundays. We're taping this on Saturday. Tomorrow's Easter uh, Easter Sunday, so happy Easter to everybody out there. Um, and, you know, the Blazers, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And we'll dig a little bit deeper into this as the show goes on. But just, you know, I wanted to fire the opening salvo again, kind of catch you off guard. So, hey, yeah, Blazers are up 2-1, to one, and uh, Game 4 is tomorrow in Oklahoma City. Bonnie, I'm jealous that you're going to be there. You were there for games three and four. Um, And we will talk about what's happening at the, you call it the peak? Yes, the Chesapeake Arena, and we just call it the peak. That's fantastic. All right, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, But quickly, going from sports back into weather, since this is a weather podcast. uh, Bonnie, before we jump into all of the fun that's going on with the severe weather outbreak, uh, and again, huge tornado uh, shift at the end of the week especially Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then even in today, Saturday. Um, Something interesting happened to our friends at the Weather Channel on Thursday morning where they came under a ransomware attack and were basically knocked off the air. See, and I I heard about it from you, and I've only seen a little bit about it on social media, so I'm not even really sure what happened, but like – but why? What was the point? Like, who? You know what I mean? Sure. And if I mean, it, it's one of those things where if you're into computers and you're into uh, technology and security, uh, ransomware is basically somebody launching a virus that gets into your system, and the only way to remove it is to basically pay a ransom. So somebody somehow injected a virus into the Weather Channel system, and it took them offline, uh, especially the live, the ability to basically do live production. So. Uh, you know, they have AMHQ, which is their their big morning show. Uh, Jen Carfagno's on there. Jim Cantori, Stephanie Abrams. Kind of, it's, it's you know, it's the Weather Channel's version of the Today Show. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, well, AMHQ's not here. We're still rerunning, like, Ice Road Truckers or something. So you kind of got some social media buzz there. Then the Weather Channel tweeted out, hey, we're really sorry. We're experiencing some technical difficulties. We'll be back when we can. I know Jim Cantori also sent that out and other things. But, man, Bonnie, it's uh, one of those things where, yeah, there's no rhyme or reason except that you're targeting a media company. All right. One that has money. Yeah. And, so you know, and it's it's scary because that's the world we live in. Thankfully, and from the some reports that I have seen, they had a backup system which they could utilize to go back live. And I think they were maybe down for an hour, hour and a half at max. But, you know, you and I talked about Thursday and even watching them for a while yesterday. It was really weird to just see them not necessarily in their main studio, just standing on a, on a video wall trying to do tornado analysis there. And it was just it was super strange. Had audio issues all day long and even in a, out in the field and live reports. It was just it was just really strange and kind of sad, but hopefully they have everything taken care of and we won't be dealing with idiots trying to hack into the Weather Channel going forward. Yeah, I bet they're going to really up their security now, like up, up it. Right. So are they still offline or is it like they're starting to get everything back going or is it like what, where are they at right now? From, from what I can tell, most of their systems are back up. And again, they haven't come out and said what really went down. But, you know, I, I work in TV and I've worked in TV and I've seen these issues where you basically get a virus in the ability to do live production. So either it's a switcher 
or it's your network between the cameras and audio and everything coming out of the control room situation. So either that went down or individual components were attacked. And, you know, like I said, they had a backup system that they got some of the stuff back online pretty quick. So I haven't had a chance to watch today. I've been out running errands and doing other things. But from what I've read online, they're getting close. If they're not yet back to 100%, they will be here in the next few days. Well, that's good. That's good. At least they've got people on it and taking care of business. But good grief. Right. I mean, people are crazy these days. Right. And I mean, and, it, and honestly, it happens all the time. I mean, you don't necessarily hear it. And, it you know, you get little ransomware attacks on, you know, software companies or technology companies. It's pretty rare that you get a media company that's attacked. But it, like I said, it happens all the time. And you have hackers, you know, uh, in the, you know, I want to say uh, this. They believe this attack came from North uh, North Korea, but they've had oh. hackers from China, from Russia, North Korea, Vietnam, other countries that uh, are doing this to get money. And it's something that's strictly driven by the fact that a lot of these people are poor. And you can write a computer virus. It doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. And sometimes you get through a backdoor in security and you launch your virus and either they pay you to take it away or you basically have to rebuild your, uh, you know, rebuild your network from scratch. The FBI is looking into this. CNN did talk with the FBI and they were, they did confirm that they were investigating this. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty serious matter. Yeah. Wow. I mean, to get the FBI involved. Yeah. Which I mean, makes sense though. They want to make sure, I mean, if a big company like the weather channels hack, then that could mean more security issues for other big entities. Exactly. That makes sense. Exactly. And, you know, had it not happened on a day where it was the second day of a tornado outbreak, I don't think a whole lot of people would have, you know, probably paid attention or wrote about it. But it leads us to our next topic. We, again, had a pretty nasty, severe weather outbreak. I would say even a tornado outbreak Wednesday into Friday and affecting everywhere from the Central Plains up the East Coast to the Mid-Atlantic. And Bonnie, it was uh, it was an interesting day Wednesday, especially for you. We had talked about, you know, you had a line of storms coming through. Uh, I know a lot of the areas to your north and west got into some action. And you guys finally got, you know, a line, gosh, late. Was it late Wednesday yeah. night? Yeah, it was it was pretty late. Um, I mean, I, I mean, kind of late, like 930, 10 o'clock. And I've got a couple of videos. It was really a, a heavy rain wind situation. Right. Um, I mean, it was definitely like Forrest Gump said, it was sideways rain for a little bit. And that was it that we got really around here, a little bit of hail. Um, but the storms that formed around us were behind the cold front. And so that's why they didn't get they didn't weren't able to tap into that warm unstable air sure. to get any rotation going and honestly through the whole day it looked like we weren't going to get even a storm at all so right. you know we were dropped out of the, the enhanced risk on wednesday and we were only in a slight we just had like a bubble of enhanced to the south a bubble of enhanced up to the northwest so it was kind of a bummer a little bit but i mean Hey, it's just April, middle of April, so we're still getting going on that. But you know, as that whole storm system moved to the east, it really, it really got going. It did, and you know, over the course of the three days, seventy-two tornado reports from Wednesday to Friday, according to our friends at SBC. Wednesday, around you in the plains, like you said, the big story was wind, rain, and hail. Uh, a lot of hail reports, and anywhere from quarter-sized hail up to baseball-sized hail reported. Um, you, there were some tornadoes. I want to say there were 12 total tornadoes just on Wednesday, but they were pretty scattered. Nothing, you know, and definitely again, like you said, right along the dry line or out front of the dry line where they could tap into that really warm, unstable air. Uh, but Thursday was a big tornado day, 29 reports across Dixie alley, a couple deaths associated with it. And Friday, it ramped up even more where you had 32 tornado reports from Florida, Georgia, South and North Carolina, and into Virginia, along with a lot of hail. So uh, it was one of those really impressive outbreaks where, again, the meteorologists did a really good job of preparing people that this was coming, uh, yes. even, you know, in multiple days in advance. Yes. Yeah. Um, Storm Prediction Center Weather Service were on it. They were on it for last week's storm as well. So... I mean, you know, they, the technology is getting better. 
the models are getting yes. a lot better. And I mean, so that's just really, really good. And we had one tiny tornado here in Oklahoma, but you know, I, I was seeing outlooks and things three or four days prior to the event and where they said it was going to be bad is where it was bad, which was the Carolinas and the East coast and stuff. So I'm very impressed by that and, and glad that that information is out there. Right. And you know, you, you look at this type of setup and again, we've had it a couple times already, especially in the deep South and up across, you know, coastal Carolina into the mid Atlantic. It's a lot of the same story where it's just that really warm, you know, humid golf air interacting with still some pretty cold Canadian, you know, continental air masses. And it's a transition season. We're in the spring, you know, not quite to summer yet, but it's, it's that time. And man, it's, it's popping and it's popping every couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where those three different air masses come together. And especially around here, we like, we need to have that, you know, warm moist gulf air then we've got the dry air from the west and then the cold front coming down from the north and all of that meets and it all likes to meet over oklahoma and so you know the dry line i mean you know we hear about the dry line all season long dry line dry line dry line and that's what fires everything that we get that is what gets it going and so it started there we go there was round one so we'll see what happens the rest of the season Right. And, you know, hopefully it will move back toward Oklahoma. I know that you are still itching to get out there and chase. You guys have had a couple days where it's been, you know, I'd say kind of borderline to maybe even favorable to go out and chase. But you haven't really had that one classic yet Midwest outbreak. Not yet. But we're still still April, still a little bit mid-April. So we we have time. May is when we all know May is is Oklahoma's prime. So. You know, we we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the month of May. We've talked a lot of, on the show lately about warnings and watches. You know, a couple of weeks ago, as we wrapped up National Weather Podcast Month, you and I did a real in-depth dive on what's you know what are the words of weather: warnings, mm-hmm. watches, watch boxes, outlooks, and. You know, one of the guys that, you know, you and I are both fans of is James Spann from down in Birmingham, Alabama. James does a great job in presenting the weather in a knowledgeable but also understandable fashion, which yes. is great. And he's a fantastic follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him, it's at Spann, S-P-A-N-N. He's great. And all of Alabama loves him. Yes. So and loves him. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's funny. I was doing some reading as we're getting ready to tape this. He has his own storm watchers, and apparently there's like up to 400 of them all across the state of Alabama. Wow. And he does his own training for them in addition to like being a Skywarn spotter for the National Weather Service. So that's pretty legit. But the reason why we bring him up is we got a tweet this week from one of our listeners, Pikeman. Um, follow him at, at Pikeman, P-Y-K-E-M-A-N-N. Uh, one of our valued listeners. We interact with him a lot on Twitter and social media. And he had sent this video to me, and I had seen it uh, a couple hours before he had sent it, but James Spann has a fireside chat, basically, where he's been on the air for a really long time doing some tornado coverage. And I want to say this was taped probably last Sunday or Monday, kind of that last wave of that previous to last, you know, real bad impulse when they were doing severe storm coverage. And he basically says, and we're going to play the audio here in a minute. It's two and a half minutes, so bear with it, but it's really good. But the gist of it is, what about me? And I get this a lot when I do my Facebook Live videos during the winter about snow, where you're like, and I use it on this show a couple times, when I say the Portland metro area, okay, that means the city of Portland and the metropolitan area. But people, Bonnie, I believe, are geographically challenged. I agree. Where they don't necessarily know where they live. They don't, and they don't know. I mean, I have a bunch of people I talk to that don't even know major highways to get to where they live. And so it's like, if you have no clue, how are you going to find yourself on a map? But you need to at least know where your city is. And then what part of your city you're in? Are you in the North part, the South part, Southwest part? Because that can make a difference too. Because there's so many times that a storm affects part of the city, but not the other part. And that's how, you know, you need to know your County. You need to know your city. And, you know, we talk about the National Weather Service and your CWA. That's your county county warning area. Okay. Mm-hmm. At least know, like you said, the city and the county. Because if you know your county, then chances are you, you probably will be able to decipher things a little bit more. 
but also yeah. get to know your county around you. Let's play the yes. audio from James Spann real quick, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Uh, and, and then listen, we don't expect people to be geographers or radar meteorologists. We really don't. We understand. It's like there's a lot of things I'm not good at, a lot. But during severe weather, what do we use? Maps all night. You know, we just can't show you much severe weather at night, so we wind up using maps. And we have learned that a large percentage of people in our state, in many states, cannot find their house on a map. If I were to give you a blank map with no labels, no highways, just county lines and state lines, could you draw a dot within 50 miles of your house? And we've seen some studies that show about 85% of the population cannot do that. So this, this makes sense because you post a really easy to use map, easy to read map on social media in the first 80 questions. What about Jasper? What about East Aboga? What about Clanton? What about Center? What about Gadsden? What about Fayette? What about Vernon? What about Millport? What about Rockford? What about Sylacauga? What about Wadawi? What about, what about, what about? And we've learned that people can't not understand maps. And I understand with phones, it's cool. You tell the phone, hey, I want to go to wherever, and it just gives you turn-by-turn -turn directions. But you need some basic map skills to help us communicate critical severe weather information. It would really help if you could identify the county that you live in and the counties adjacent to you. And it really doesn't take that much. I learned this stuff in fourth grade. I mean, when I was in fourth grade, we did Alabama geography, Alabama history. I love fourth grade. It was a great grade. Uh, but you don't learn all of them, but just learn the county that you're in and the ones that surround that. And it would really, I think, help us all during times of severe weather because we can't give individual briefings. I'll probably, I bet you, Brian, I've got a thousand requests for individual briefings since this I won't started. Take that bet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't do that because I'm on television, but part of it is the fact that they just can't understand maps. And so that would be a big help. So that's the end of my fireside chat. So that's James Spann and his fireside chat. Bonnie, he's right. People don't know where they live. And we talked about this before we played the audio. It's it's one of those things that, for me, it's mind-boggling. And again, maybe I'm different because I understand where I live and I know how to analyze a weather map. I know how to analyze a map, period. Okay, I know that I live in Washington County and I know where in Washington County I live. I took the example James Spann used in that fireside chat saying that most people would not be able to accurately predict where they live on a map within 50 miles. That, to me, one blows me away. But just to kind of see how true that was, I asked eight of my friends. And I said, if I give you a map of the state of Oregon and I draw the county lines, could you accurately point on the map where you believe you live within 50 miles? Seven of my eight friends said, well, I'm fairly confident, like say 60% to 75% confident that they'd be able to do it. Oh my God. That scares me. Yes, 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 yes. And it's just so important. And I think like you were saying, maybe it's just because we've grown up loving the weather. We've grown up, you know, dealing with that. So I've known where I live and what the counties are, especially in central Oklahoma, where I am and where I am relative to any storms that pop up. And so maybe it's just from growing up that way but to not know i mean because not only do they put the counties on there on these maps but they've got the major highways drawn so if you don't know if you're close to the you know i-40 i-35 interchange or if you're on the east side or west side of i-35 like you know it's just you got to have a little bit of an idea of where you are and then you do need to know what counties are around you because if you're in one county and they say there's a warning for a county to the west of you, then that storm is going to most likely move into your county. Right. But if you're in a county and the warning's in the county to the east of you, then you're probably in the clear 99% of the time because that's the way the storms move around here is from west to east. And, you know, or southwest to northeast, that kind of thing. So, you know, you kind of need to know that the, your general area and yep. then a little bit of the area around you. Like I, I don't need to be super concerned with the counties up in the panhandle. I mean, I know what cities are up there and I know, you know, but I mean, if something's happening in the panhandle, I'm fine, but I need to know what's happening North, South, East and West of me and my immediate location, because it's important. And to not know then getting the warnings is kind of pointless because Unless they're saying you're a specific address, you really don't know 
what's coming at you. And that's, you know, that's not feasible to give list everyone's address. Exactly. And, you know, again, coming from the TV aspect of this, you know, I understand where James is coming from. You know, and you mentioned this at night specifically when we have to show a map, that's our only tool of communicating where something is taking place. And yes, as somebody that has been a weather producer, you've created maps with the names of the cities. And yes, you can zoom in and out and it changes the font size. So maybe it gives you a little bit bigger picture. But you have to remember that when we say, say here in Oregon, here is the city of Portland. The city of Portland is several thousand square miles. Yeah. Okay. It's not like it's supposed to be just like, oh, well, we have X, Y. No, we put the dot on the city of Portland is downtown Portland. Okay. Exactly. And downtown. That's something people don't know is the dot yeah. represents the downtown of that city. Exactly. Or it's a common meeting point. Sometimes it can be an airport. Sometimes it's downtown. Sometimes it's a historical reference point, either be yeah. a hospital or a school somewhere that somebody knows, okay, this is the kind of the general area. But like I said, when I do Facebook live videos for weather, everybody's like, when I say the Portland metro area and areas above, I'm like, well, what about me and Gresham and Sandy and Scotts Mills and Malala and Oregon City and Tualatin and Tigard and Beaverton and Hillsborough? It's just like, how do you not know what the Portland metro area is? Yeah. How do you not know what Oklahoma County is? How do you not know that, you know, in the summer here, it's funny, you mentioned storms in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's a classic, you know, southwest and northeast movement. In the summer here, we get monsoonal thunderstorms that come off the Cascades, and our movement is from southeast to northwest. Completely wow. opposite, but that's just the way usually the flow goes. If not I directly, to do in that situation. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. I would but, feel like I'm backwards. I would be so confused. Right, but I mean, we sit here and we watch the radar and we watch these storms fire up and they go severe and we get the EAS and you know we'll get into that in other shows, um, and especially because again. Actually, no, let, let, let's just dive into it right now. We have the time. Bonnie, you had mentioned earlier in the week that somebody in Oklahoma City was receiving death threats because they broke in with tornado coverage. And, you know, I even saw one tweet this week from somebody saying, listen, if you threaten me or you call me out on social media, I will not only because I work for a TV station, I will print your name, I will print your address, and I will share all the social media information I can find about you. If you call me out because you believe that I'm intentionally taking time away from you watching TV to save your life. Yes. And I'm okay yeah. with that. I, I agree. And like, it, it was about a specific show survivor, I think was the show. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that person tried to backpedal and say, I was just being ironic. I was just joking. And I'm like, you know, I didn't believe that for a second. And that's why I commented on it. I was along with a bunch of other people. And, you know, that's why I tagged certain meteorologists and, you know, because they, this is the crap that they put up with all the yep. time, especially during the spring season. And it's just like people are so – if it's not happening in their backyard, they don't care. And it's – I mean, people don't get it. And it's a, it's a kind of a selfish, you know, entitled mentality, and I don't know how to change it. And I feel like it's people aren't going to change that mentality until it happens to them, and then they'll have more sympathy. But a lot of people mm -hmm. lack that empathy, and they don't know – they don't. And it's just, it's unbelievable it, to me. It, it's really sad. And, you know, the other thing, and this stems, again, last week from people complaining about not being able to watch the Masters, especially on a replay. Oh. It, it, again, you know, again, people in Washington, D.C. DC was the worst. And, you know, I, I tweeted about it on my personal account, at Bobby Corser. Um, there's a guy, um, Mike Wilbon from ESPN, had tweeted saying, you know, I can't believe that. You know, my friends in TV would break in and unnecessarily show a tornado warning, you know, full red screen, blah, blah, blah. Why were, you know, the Masters is on to which I was like, dude, listen, I respect your opinion as a sports journalist and as a journalist in general. However, you have no idea what is going on. And I went on in depth on this on my Twitter account. It was a quick post. The EAS, the emergency alert system, which is, you know, how you get your severe thunderstorm warnings, your tornado warnings, any type of warning and like the Amber Alerts, right? As a broadcaster, we are required by law to share that with our viewers, listeners, whoever. But yes. if you look, and I did tweet this, if you look at the FCC guidelines, there are things and rules in place that say that broadcasters do not need to send these out immediately. 
And I will tell you this, as working for uh, what's known as the LP1, being the local relay for where all these alerts generated from and then are dispersed out to every radio and TV station in a market, some of these I had to immediately send. Right. Because just it makes sense. Severe thunderstorms, yes. Um, you know, blizzard warnings, yes. Amber alerts automatically go. Um, abduction alerts and other national emergency alerts automatically go. You can't change that. When I left the LP1 and went to work for a different radio station, we were the LP2, which means we were next in line if something had happened to the, pre- the other radio station. With that said, there are times where we got during the summer severe thunderstorm war alerts, and I had my boss tell me, well, just play it in the next available commercial break. <laughs> next time they call timeout, then let everyone that's watching know that there's a tornado sure. bearing down on Sure, them. and again... Had there been a tornado, if there was a tornado warning, I would have immediately pushed. No doubt about it. Severe thunderstorms that are affecting parts of Sandy or the east part of Multnomah County, out toward the gorge, up in the Cascades. I can wait a little bit on that because I know that there's not a whole lot of people that are being affected by this. Is it important to relay? Absolutely. And do I push it? Yes. But there are times where if I know that I have a commercial break in three minutes, and this alert's automatically going to go within 10 minutes. Uh, I'll wait the three minutes, put in the commercial break, and then go. But there are times where I've just started an hour. I'm not breaking until, say, 15 or 16 after the hour. And yeah. my countdown clock's already at six minutes. And I tell my host, I'm sorry, but in three and a half to six minutes, this alert's going to go. We just have to wait it out. Yeah. And again, we have the ability to kind of delay it or push it immediately. My personal preference was always push the stuff just because. But on days yeah. where you have multiple warnings and it happening for a long period of time, it gets really annoying. But again, I understand the premise of why we do it. Well, and it's it's because viewing areas are not just one little tiny community. They can be, especially here in our case, it can be millions of people. Like sure. Oklahoma City, there's millions of people, just Oklahoma City. But the viewing area for most of these weather stations is like half of Oklahoma. Yeah. And so if anything's happening anywhere, they're going to have to break in Yep. and they do their best to not, they do their best to use commercial breaks, but if it's persistent ongoing, then they're going to have to just do wall to wall coverage and people just need to get over it. And a lot of the stations have, I don't know what you call them, backup stations, sister stations, alternate stations where you can watch that programming or they'll reshow it later. You can DVR it, whatever. But I mean, you do what you got to do and sorry, it's not affecting you, but it's affecting somebody 30 miles away from you. So they also deserve protection and warning. Exactly. And that's one of those things where you have to do that. Listen, you mentioned other options. You can always stream a program. I mean, the majority of our cable companies today and the majority of our networks have apps where you can stream. Yes. And again, that will get into something that I would like to talk about in future shows where how do we go about now adding these units or these devices to things that need to relay this information is there a way to interrupt a stream is there a way to you know have a push notification sent to a ipad that say is not connected to a cell signal so you know the technology exists that if you don't want to see the warnings fine i get it but please don't turn around and complain because that's just doing a disservice to everybody else and it makes you look stupid and in the end of the day when say somebody does lose their life, which we never hope is the case, you know, what do you do? Because these guys are doing their best to relay the information, get it out there to save a life. Yeah. Yep. And they get so much flack and, you know, backlash from it and, and death threats and just, you know, crap talking. And it's just, you know, They've got to have really tough skin. So that's why for a lot of these TV meteorologists, I'm proud that they just keep going and just let it wash off their back because they know there's a lot of people out there grateful for what they do. I certainly am. And the people who aren't, the people who are selfish and need to watch Survivor or the replay of Tiger Woods win the Masters and you're mad that there was a tornado warning, then I don't, I mean, get over it. Right. It's just, it's, it's incredible to me. And, you know, I'm really, again, thankful for people that do this, but, you know, let's bring it back to what James Spann said. Just take some time and get to know your surroundings. Get to know where you live. And, yeah, I get that we use our phones for directions to go pretty much everywhere. But if you don't have a basic sense of where you're located, 
you need to learn because that will one day, mark my words, it will save your life. Yes. And I don't care if you're at home or work or traveling somewhere. If you know where you are and you can relay that information, it will save your life. Absolutely. And, you know, all the TV stations do it. They put a storm track on the storms and drag it out however many miles and then they will list all the cities in there and they'll be like okay at around this time this city is going to be impacted at around this time this city will be impacted but they've also started adding things like they put the chesapeake arena um frontier city which is one of our theme parks they'll be like it's going to be around the frontier city area and certain hospitals and stuff so it's kind of it helps you it's like a landmark oh i'm close to frontier city so that must mean me yeah. Oh, I'm close to the Chesapeake Arena, so that must mean me. And so it kind of, that's really helpful, I think. Places where a lot of people are are smart because people, one, chances are you're going to have a crowd at Chesapeake. Chances are you're going to have a crowd at Frontier City. Chances are you're going to have a crowd at Gaylord Memorial Stadium on a Saturday in the fall, and you're in that transition between summer and fall. And again, a severe thunderstorm pops up, and you have, what, 100,000 people you know, screaming for the Sooners? Well, guess what? Memorial Stadium's in the way. Let's identify that. Yeah. Well, and then even if it's not, at least you have a better idea. You're like, oh, that's my specific area because I'm pretty close to that particular landmark. So that helps people gauge where the storm is relative to them. So, So that's good. But you still need to know. And you still need to know what major intersections and highways are near you because they use that a lot, too, to identify. So... Come on, people. It takes five minutes right. to pull out any map. And pull J- out your Google map on your phone. Right. And as James Spann said, most of us learned this in fourth grade. I know we don't retain a whole heck of a lot of what we learned in fourth grade, but, you know, the geography of Oregon kind of knew it. I took even a class in college that was the geography of Oregon. It was a breeze class, but it was a lot of fun because I learned more about the state where I live. Yep. I was able to we identify. Had to do a whole project on Oklahoma and the counties and oh, yeah. landmarks and lakes and all of that. And yeah, like, I mean, that was in fourth grade, and you're right. Like, that was a long time ago, but you've done it. Right. You and we have you. the internet. Google it. It's not hard. Yeah. Take two minutes and find out. Seriously, just find out where you live. It's going to make it easy. Again, thanks to Pike Man for bringing this to our attention. We really appreciate it. Guys, if you see something on Twitter, let us know. Tag us in it, at Weather Podcast. We would love to talk about what you guys want us to talk about. So, again, thank you to Pike Man for bringing this up. We appreciate it. Bonnie, yeah, one thing before we get into the Blazers and the Thunder, (laughs) uh, and we talked about this early before we started taping, Hurricane Michael made a reappearance this week. And I know, and I'm so shocked. Well, I'm not, like, super shocked, but right. I'm, like, finally, like, have, you know, it got the rating it needed and deserved, and there we go. Right. So, so the National Hurricane Center sent out the release, I want to say it was on Thursday, um, and don't quote me on that, I don't have the email up in front of me, but Hurricane Michael officially came ashore as a Cat 5. Uh, if you were watching the Weather Channel coverage or any network coverage, the National Hurricane Center sent out an advisory right before landfall saying it had weakened just a little bit to a high-end Category 4. At that point, it really didn't matter because Mexico Beach was being basically blown off the map. Um, areas up and down the Florida Panhandle were, you know, dealing with, you know, 150-mile-an-hour winds, uh, extreme low pressure, a lot of flooding, a lot of rain. And Bonnie, the Hurricane Center, like we said, came back and said, you know what, after looking at all the data available – Hurricane Michael was a Category 5 at landfall. Yep. And, you know, I know that that takes time, and that takes a lot of data gathering. And do they base that on damage? You know, let me go – tornadoes? Let me pull it up real quick. I'm going to go pull the email up from the PR people at the National Hurricane Center and NOAA. Um, And I want to say it wasn't necessarily like, you know, what they do, uh, storm – uh, analysis with you know how you determine the EF scale, but let me look here. Uh, let's see here. I will read you what it says. Scientists at NOAA's Hur- National Hurricane Center conducted a detailed post-storm analysis on the data available for Hurricane Michael and had determined the storm's estimated intensity at landfall was 160 miles per hour. This final wind intensity is a 5-mile-an-hour increase over the operational estimate and makes Michael a Cat 5 storm on the Saffir-Simpson hurricane scale. Uh, 
at the time of landfall, October 10th, 2018, near Mexico Beach and Tyndall Air Force Base, Florida. Michael is the first hurricane to make landfall in the United States as a Cat 5 hurricane since Andrew in 1992 and only the fourth on record. The others are the Labor Day hurricane of 90, 1935, Hurricane Camille in 69. Michael is also the strongest hurricane landfall on record in the Florida Panhandle and the only second known Cat 5 landfall on the northern Gulf Coast. Wow. So I'm going through here and just, let's see here. Cat 5 winds were likely experienced over a very small area at and near the coast, and the change in estimate wind speeds is a little practical significance in terms of the impacts associated with the storm. So, again, maybe it was looking at storm damage. That, that's how they... That's how they did. It says, along with wind speed, atmospheric pressure is a measure of storm intensity. In general, the lower storm central pressure, we know this, the higher the winds. Michael's central pressure of 919 at landfall is the third lowest on record for a U.S. landfalling hurricane uh, since reliable records began uh, being kept in the 1900s, again, only trailing the Labor Day hurricane of 35 at 892, which is, that still blows my mind, and Hurricane yeah. Camille at 900. So. Wow. 919 is nothing to scoff about. And again, a, a Cat 5 at landfall, it's, you know, it's got to be. Because when you still look at pictures of Mexico Beach and areas around Tyndall Air Force Base, they were devastated. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to say blown off the map, but they were. And I know that a couple of radio companies that had a bunch of stations basically just gave up operations. And they, wow. the signal is still dark today. So, man, wow. it's just uh, Cat 5 at landfall. We thought that's probably what was going to happen. But now NHC has confirmed that. So there we go. Man. Well, you know, and I'm glad they looked at some damage and structures that were damaged. And I know it's not exactly the way they look at tornado damage, but I mean, that has to factor in a little, you know, if it can blow over certain structures, then it has to have a certain power behind it. Right. And I will have to find the article and gosh, it's going to take me a long time to probably find it, but there was an article, and I want to say it's either in Popular Science or is some, maybe even on the Weather Channel, where a gentleman built a house in Mexico Beach, and he raided it to sustain and basically survive a Cat 5. And he built it on pillars. Everything was elevated off the ground. The air conditioning unit was put on the backside of the house, away from the ocean. In the event they ever did have a south you know, landfall and hurricane, which Michael was. And the, the house survived. Yeah, there was some cosmetic damage. I think the couple windows were blown out. But for the most part, the entire thing lived. And it was pretty intense. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. It is. But again, being prepared. Yep. Right? Knowing yep. what could possibly happen and you're prepared. Look, your house isn't destroyed. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, and like we were talking before we taped, like I'm, I'm about to get a safe room. Um, looking at statistics, FEMA says people spend an average of 15 minutes a year in a safe room or shelter. So really, right. really ever need it. But I would much rather have it and never need it than need it one time and not have it, especially living in more. And so being prepared, really, it's a sense of security. And right. it's that's it's important. It's important. Absolutely. Um, going from a landfall and hurricane to a hurricane that's going to be taking over the Chesapeake arena tomorrow. Bonnie game number four of the NBA Western conference playoffs between my Portland trailblazers and your Oklahoma city thunder is going to rock central Oklahoma tomorrow night. Bonnie, bring it. Man, I am telling you, the energy that is in the Chesapeake Arena during a regular Thunder game is insane. But during a playoff game, I'm surprised the roof has not blown off multiple times because we are so loud. I can't even hear my friend who's sitting next to me. We have to shout at each other because we can't hear over all the screaming, can't hear the announcer over any of the screaming. I don't know if y'all can hear anything on TV. Oh, yeah, it's loud. (laughs) But, I mean, it. The atmosphere is great. And and a little side story that is still related to what we're talking about, but, you know, we had the storms here Wednesday, and the Trailblazers were here, and they interviewed Lillard and the coach, and they both were like, "Mm -mm, we don't like these severe storms. We get rain and stuff up in Portland, but not like this. And Lillard was talking about, like, he saw it coming through the window, and he was like, I I just moved away from the window because I was like, I'm not having any part of this. And I'm just thinking, number one, y'all haven't seen anything. And number two, it's really funny. (laughs) You know, it's funny. And as you know, I don't talk about this on the show just because it's not that important. I've worked for the Portland Trailblazers on and off for the better part of almost 18 years now. 
where I'm a backup to a radio guy. I'm a backup producer for him. And so, you know, my paychecks sometimes come from the Portland Trailblazers. I haven't done anything for them in the last couple of years, but I'm still going to practices. I hang out. I'm probably going to hang out tomorrow night down at Moda Center uh, in Trailblazer Radio Control. A bunch of friends of mine work for them and I go hang out and I, you know, do stats and other stuff for them. But it was great to watch all the people that are part of the traveling party. So, like, our silent reporter, Brooke Ozeldam. Uh, shout out, by the way, to your bison. Rumble Is it Rumble the bison? Your mascot? Yeah. He has yeah. an ongoing beef with my sideline reporter. Oh. It's the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. Like, she constantly tweets him. He tweets her back. It's great. So, he, con- he does a sneak attack on her every time, and it's hilarious. But, so, Brooke is posting about it. Uh, our social media director, Amara, is posting about Storms. Other people are posting about it. And, as a joke, I've done forecasts for the Blazers. My nickname is Storm Team Courser. So anytime that there's significant weather in Portland, I send a blast out to a bunch of people from the Blazers on a separate email, just saying, "A STC says, which is Storm Team Courser, uh, you know, expect X, Y, Z. And so when we knew that there was going to be a line of thunderstorms coming through, the Blazer director of PR, Jim Taylor, who's with the team, had tweeted out something to which I just responded, Storm Team's watching. So, you know, I'd let them know that stuff would be coming, but it was, it was still pretty impressive. Yeah, and I mean, that was low end for us. That was cake compared to oh, so yeah. many. Oh, absolutely. So the fact that they were a little bit like, ooh, it's. Right. And again, our thunderstorm season out here in Oregon is during the summer. And so the players that don't live here don't necessarily see it. So, but, you know, players like Enos Cantus or uh, Enos Cantor understands that. He has yes. played in Oklahoma City. He gets what it's about. So it was still pretty funny to see. And you're right. It was great. So. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, I, shout out to Ennis Cantor, by the way. He got a big cheer when they yes, introduced the lineup. He got a really big cheer from us. Definitely, we're not salty with him. There's, right. there's two players we're salty with, and he's not one of them. Yeah, so. Kev, who, it's Kevin Durant. Who else? James Harden. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So then. everyone else, Serge Ibaka, anytime he's in the arena, you know, everyone's always super friendly with him and everything. Right. So. You know, but yeah, that it, was nice to see. It is. And so game four, like we said, tomorrow night, um, I think the Blazers are coming back home for the game on Tuesday up 3-1. Bonnie, mm-hmm. I think you think it's going to be serious tied at 2-2. I think hardcore. I, I think the Blazers, for sure, the other night, were not prepared for playing in the peak during playoff season like that. And I'm sure it was scary. I know we all look like Taco Bell sauce packets, but I don't care. We were all unified. <laughs> but... Uh, no, it's going to be tied tomorrow. It's going to be tied. We're going to come out with the same intensity. And I forget, were you all ever ahead during the game on Friday? I uh, yeah, we were up a couple times. I think there were six or seven lead changes. I, I don't think – I think six or seven is really pushing it. I think it's almost one or two. Let me go. I'll pull up the NBA box score. So hold on one second here. But with that said, you said that the energy at the peak is pretty loud. I will say this. Moda Center mm-hmm. usually and regularly leads the loudest arenas – either regular season and playoffs. So they might not be used to, you know, playing in the peak. However, um, Oklahoma City, what, you guys shot, like, what, 15% beyond the arc for threes in games one and two? I don't think y'all were ready for the energy that Moda Center brought. No, I, I don't. And we weren't ready for Lillard. And I'll admit, I will admit, okay, that he was crushing it in those first two games. And he's on my list. And I want, you know, I don't like Lillard <laughs> or his – Hot three-point shots he makes, but we were crushing it last night. No, I agree. I think you guys played really well. You played. You finally hit shots. Your arena is really loud. When I was watching them on TV, games one and two, I was very impressed with how loud it was and how you couldn't hear the announcers very well. And that rivaled us because we've always kind of had that reputation. That's why we have our section, our top section in the Chesapeake Arena is called Loud City. And it's because that's us. We're just crazy loud okay according to the box score from last night's game there were 10 lead changes where's my stats Uh, there were 10 lead changes the largest lead from the blazers was two and the largest lead for oklahoma city was 16 Hmm. but there were 10 lead changes so yeah and i will say and most of that that was before was before halftime obviously (laughs) which let's just talk about the first quarter um, yeah, you guys, you guys, are, yeah, you guys actually made a shot. <laughs> no, two backcourt calls, two, yeah. and what two walks? 
Also, in yeah. the first quarter from the Trailblazers, I, I thought that this was pro basketball, not high school basketball. Hey, like, no, how does that even happen? Hey, the, ref, the referees found their whistles. That's all I'm going to say, because that went both ways for everybody. It was ugly. It was true. We got a bunch of traveling calls, too. So, you know, and I really think traveling is a really dumb mistake to make when you're in the NBA. Like, you should be done doing that. But, yeah, I mean, it's like, how, how, do you, how do you travel? I mean, it's like, come on. Right. We're, we're better than that. Right. Like that is the, like I said, high school type stuff. Like you are now in the big leagues. Like that should be one of those things you don't do anymore, but whatever. And I will also say love Paul George, but the last, his last dunk there in the last two seconds of the game or whatever, unnecessary. Yeah. But, and you know, I I will say this again, we go back to Westbrook and being defiant with certain members of the media. Uh, A friend of mine, Carrie Eggers, who works for the Portland Tribune was the one that asked, PG-13 in the press conference last night. So tell, tell me about the dunk. He was like, eh, next question. I've nope. been I've been next questioned as a reporter. I hate it. But yeah. I also understand that occasionally you ask dumb questions. However, I don't think that was a dumb question. It was just one of those things where it happened. So, again. Well, look- and I think it was kind of – it was it was a little bit unsportsmanlike, but I think it's sure. like whenever they, they call a foul or whatever and someone goes ahead and just throws up a shot. You know, right. I think it was the same kind of deal. It wasn't like, ha-ha, I'm going to just slam another one down. I think he was just like, I want to go do a fun trick move kind of deal, you know? Right. So. Well, like I said, so times tied, there were seven instances in the game where the game was tied. The longest run was seven. And then, you know, lead changes ten times. Uh, Oklahoma City definitely dominated uh, the third or the, you know, the second half. But even in the third quarter, the Blazers made a run and were able to tie the game uh, basically two or three minutes into the fourth quarter. And then after then, it was all Oklahoma City. But, yes, uh, Blazers' largest lead was two. Oklahoma City's largest lead was 16. But, yes, ten lead changes. So. And we had several players in foul trouble. Yeah, both uh, teams did. Mm-hmm. And who who fouled out? Heartless. Uh, Harkless. Harkless. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Heartless. No, he, no, the dude has got heart. The dude has heart. I will tell you that right now. Um, Maurice Harkler. Harkless. I can't even say his name. What happens when you're battling like a cough? It's driving me nuts. Uh, Harkless had six fouls, and then did anybody for Oklahoma City foul out? No, no, Oklahoma. but I think Paul George had four. Yeah, three he, or four. Yeah, Paul George had four. So he was close, and then we almost thought Lillard was going to get in foul trouble, and there was a big issue when he should have had a right. fourth foul, and they, I think they called it for Harkless, and they did. we were really mad because we really wanted Lillard to right. foul out. Well, let's put it this way, and we won't get into plus minus because it's just way too much, but Portland's two best players, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, combined for a minus 28 plus minus, which means they probably did more good sitting on the bench than they did playing, which is not good. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I noticed like Lillard spent a lot of time on the bench and I thought that was weird. And I think it was a fouling issue and he just yeah. was like, I'm not and trying to let you foul out in the first half of the game. Exactly. And he normally rests at the end of every quarter and the start of the quarter just to give him some rest. And he played 36 minutes of 48, but still, I mean, that's not a whole heck yeah. of a lot. So, you know, in comparison, by well, the way, Westbrook is the same. They, they sit Westbrook down a lot. I don't know if you ever see it, but they wrap oh, yeah. both his knees. I think oh, yeah. they heat them. I don't really know what they're doing, but they, do. they rest him too. So, by the way, uh, when you watch game five back here on Tuesday, look oh. for the cupcake signs. They're like people will bring giant things, and that's for Raymond Felton. Because Raymond Felton, apparently, when he was here and was a point guard for Portland, would eat cupcakes, and he gained like 40 pounds. I'm not kidding you. And so he's known as Captain Cupcake. Really? I thought there was also some sort of cupcake-related banter between Westbrook and Durant also. No, no, no. No, and I, the, strictly the banter with Raymond Fountain is the dude ate a lot of cupcakes. Bless his heart. He looks like... He ate a lot of cupcakes? He looks like a more attractive James Harden to me. Yeah, he's also a little bit thicker in certain places. And has better teeth. Yes, that is true. That is true. <laughs> That's true. But hey, you know what? It's basketball and we love it. So, Bonnie, good luck for game four on Easter. Again, everybody happy Easter. Yes, happy Easter. Oh, I wanted to say one more yes, thing. Fire away. This is for the Oklahoma City people. Um, Friday was the 24th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. And 24, 24 years since do you that remember, happened. Do you remember where you were that day? I don't because that happened like two weeks before my fourth birthday. Okay. I so. remember where I was. Um, and I'm a little bit older than you, but not much. My brother was playing a little league baseball game at Raleigh Hills Elementary that day, 
and the course of the afternoon, I don't know if I was in, I was in school, um, and it happened, you know, the bombing happened late morning, right? Mm-hmm. And I yeah, don't think we, yeah, and so, which is 7 a.m. our time, so, yeah, we knew about it on the way to school, um, but at that point, and I want to say, we watched the news all day, like CNN all day, and I think they finally said that they had either made an arrest or had an idea of who they were looking for that afternoon. But, yep, I can vividly remember talking to my friends. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, his brother Luke is a good friend of mine. Aaron's good friends with my younger brother Ben. But I remember talking to Luke that day. He was at the the practice of the game, and you know we were like, hey, you see what I have in Oklahoma City? He's like, yeah, man. And we were like 11 or 12. So... I mean, I was looking at some statistics and it was something like 284 kids were orphaned. Yeah. Um, uh, more than that, lost one parent, uh, like 3,000 or 6,000, I can't remember, were jobless after that. Yep. Um, damage happened to about 300 buildings downtown. So um, it, was, it was pretty intense. And I'll say this, there's a very good, very scary documentary on netflix about it and i think it's just called oklahoma city but it is it's really good it's really good it is it it terrified me i watched it and it just it is so scary and i'm glad they have i'm glad they caught timothy mcveigh and apparently he had to be in isolation and everything because all the inmates wanted to kill him and so yeah when you commit acts of domestic terrorism Mm -hmm. um Prisoners don't, yeah, yeah. Prisoners don't like that because they're still Americans and they still have a sense of pride and, you know, and again, uh, just a terrible tragedy. Um, and speaking of the Blazers, they had a couple of members of the Blazers, PR staff and the team, they walked through the memorial. Um, and the next time I am back in Oklahoma City, it's one of the things I do want to see because I do, like I said, I remember where I was. Uh, I'm doing the math right now. I was, you know, 14 years old when it happened. And, you know, I, I get it. So... And so for it to be 24 years ago just kind of blows my mind. But, yeah, definitely it's something that's always on everyone's hearts. And like you said, there's a huge memorial downtown. It's gorgeous. And definitely anytime you're in the city, that's what I would recommend um, going to see. And I think it's free, but I could be wrong. But if it's not, it's not expensive. Yeah. No. And, again, everything benefits for a good cause. Um, And I believe it's, you know, majority of the money goes to help with scholarships, right, for the kids. Mm-hmm. Of the parents, yep. yeah. So, a, a worthy cause for a terrible tragedy. Uh, but thank you for reminding me of that I didn't remember it was uh, 24 years ago this week. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, for the Oklahoma City people and really anybody in the country who was sure. affected, you know, that we we remember and uh, that it was it's always it's always on our hearts and definitely always in our minds and prayers. So, right, it's the one or two events in my lifetime that I know that every single FBI office across the country was working leads locally. Yep. Oklahoma City and nine eleven. Yep. So. So for for that for that event to be up there in the same category as nine eleven, that oh, should yeah. also say something. Oh, so. abs- abs- hands down, absolutely. Well, Bonnie, another great edition of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Blazer Maniac Land, go Rip City. <laughs> and I am Bonnie in Thunder Up, Oklahoma City. Two and two tomorrow. Just be ready. <laughs> All right. Well, Blazer coming back home three one, and that's the final word. <laughs> okay. Whatever. <laughs>